Rhea, and this is Was That Good For You, a podcast all about sex and relationships. We cover everything from kinks to long-distance dating and everything in between. Today's guest is Gabrielle Smith. Hi, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so would you mind giving, I mean, myself a bit, but as well as the audience, mm-hmm. just a little bit of a background on how you kind of got into the space and what you do now? So I am a writer and ethical monogamy resource. I would say I primarily freelance. I'm a writer on the internet. Um, And I write about love, sex, dating, all within intersectional and um, mental health health focus. Okay. So getting into the space, I started freelancing um, thanks to the pandemic. Um, Yes. (laughs) I was bartending full time, um, actually. And then I was like, well, can't do this anymore. So um, my first piece with Greatest was actually about navigating polyamory, or rather navigating the quarantine in a yeah. polyamorous relationship. So I essentially saw a much needed niche that needed to be filled. Um, there aren't a lot of ethical non-monogamy resources and there aren't a lot of people who look like me i'm queer i'm black i'm latina and um i just wanted to serve the community that like is my own yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and so you were able to kind of take take quarantine and take the fact that you literally were not allowed to be a bartender anymore and be like fuck it i'm just gonna i was already passionate about this i'm just gonna do it freelance full-time and start writing yeah totally um i was just basically I have ADHD and I was beginning to get treated for it ironically when the pandemic started so that's what was keeping me from writing um and then I was able to because it was one a necessity and two I had the medication to help me (laughs) right absolutely well and I Mm -hmm. think like you said there is such an important space that needs to be had for talking Mm -hmm. about this because I talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but it feels like, and, and, and again, I know that I kind of, I'm a little bit, which you might agree at being in New York, I'm a little bit in an echo chamber and a little bit of a bubble being in a big city where I think, um, Mm -hmm. progressiveness feels a little bit more, uh, ubiquitous than it does everywhere else. But in my opinion, um, ethical non-monogamy and polyamory is having like a huge moment right now. Like I feel like people are talking about it more than they ever have. People are accepting it more and even just being open to incorporating it into their own relationships, even relationships that maybe have been monogamous for a long time. And I think there's just, there's so much information that people want and there needs to be um, places and people who are educated on the subject that can come to those people and be like, well, here are some of the questions, here are some of the answers to the questions you have. Yeah, I, one of the things that's difficult about non-monogamy, I think, is that a lot of the resources you find are either very academic, or you have to read an entire book, right? Um, or they're like blogs people made in 2012. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> for sure, for sure. So that's why I decided to use Instagram as a platform, because it, it's a bit more palatable, like you see it on your feed. Um, what I make on Instagram is not intended to be like, uh, this is everything you need to learn how to pursue an ethical non-monogamous relationship or like to stop comparing yourself to your metamors. But um, I think it's a good starting point to like give people kind of like more information. And then like I go on to write much longer pieces about it when um, publications hire me. (laughs) 
Right. For uh, sure. Yeah. So but, have you been interested in like polyamory and ethical non-monogamy for a long time? And then it kind of just sort of became your niche or were you always like, this is something that I want to talk about more publicly? I've always wanted to write about sex and relationships because I've been pursuing like um, the ideal relationship for me. I don't think I had a lot of really great role models growing up. I don't think I've ever seen a healthy relationship in my life other than maybe, yeah, the one I'm in right now, thankfully. But um, so I've always wanted to write about those things and I've always had a interest in them and hand in hand, like my first relationship ended up open and I just continued to um, date that way. So it's all I've ever known in a way. Um, If I can bring it back to something that's like a little academic um, to relate it. um, W.B. Du Bois has this like concept called double consciousness in reference to like black people. Um, But it works for people of color or any marginalized um, person, I think, where you see the world as like the status quo. Okay. And what the world thinks you are. And then you see the world as you know it, like, and you see yourself as you know it. Yeah. So I feel like I navigate my relationships like that as well, where people have, like, we think relationships are supposed to be monogamous. We're told that. But, like, I know that they don't have to be. (laughs) So do you feel like you still struggle with kind of society's expectations for what a relationship could be versus what you know you want and will will feed you personally in a relationship or have you pretty much gotten over that hurdle I've gotten over it but I think my background is one that really allows it I see a lot of people struggle um in terms of family dynamics and um friendships uh but I've been lucky that you've to surround yourself with people who live and believe in the same lifestyle as you otherwise you're going to feel a lot of judgment a lot of um oh, I could never do that and like, oh, everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's funny. So the only other kind of time that I've touched on mm-hmm. ethical polyamory on the podcast was I had a friend of mine on and um, she is not necessarily like a resource or she's not really even in the sex space. She's just a friend of mine who mm-hmm. for a very, very long time practiced ethical non-monogamy. And her story was really interesting in that she – was was polyamorous for a really long time and then she she met uh, a good a good friend of mine who was how mm-hmm. I met her they started dating and she was still not ready to be monogamous and he mm-hmm. had only ever been in monogamous relationships and so they came to this conclusion where which which I think is so beautiful where he was like I don't really want to do that um but I'm fine with you doing it and so he mm-hmm. was monogamous and she kind of dated around and stuff and then they were they were I guess I guess you could say open for a year and then she just woke up one day and decided she wanted to be monogamous with him but she told me on that episode that she didn't she doesn't know if she necessarily would have wanted to ever be monogamous if she hadn't found someone that gave her the space to be poly for a while first and to just Mm -hmm. be like I don't want this I don't need this I'm not going to do it as like a tit for tat thing just because you're doing it I'm I love you and I love what you believe in. So you do that and this is what I believe in and I'm going to do that. And I thought that was really beautiful because I think a lot of times when I talk to people it, I, about ethical non-monogamy, I get the same thing, right? There's a lot of people who who say that they're very open and, and progressive and non-judgmental, but then they say things like, oh, well, I could never do mm-hmm. that, which is, which is a really interesting thing to say because it's like, 
if you if you check them on it, they'll say, oh, well, that's just my opinion. But it's riddled with so much uh, judgment. That sentence is riddled with so much judgment. So uh, I thought it was really interesting that he was able to kind of take the ego out of it and say, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this, but I'm still fine with you doing it and didn't feel this need to be like, well, I'm going to go and hook up with other people because you're doing it. Yeah, I think allowing your partners to the space to be who they are is the whole idea. It's like, you know, monogamous and polyamorous people can be in relationships and it works because it's just a personal choice. Like when I first met my partner right now, um, I didn't really see anyone else for three to six months. And that was just my choice. Like, right. I'd go on dates and like try, but like, I was like, you know, I prefer being with this person. And I eventually got, I guess that solo time out of my system, but I think we all go about relationships differently and it is really nice that he just gave her that space because I I think when ethical non-monogamy allows you to live in choice Mm -hmm. and every day you're choosing that person. So they could theoretically rearrange their relationship at a later time again, but the idea is I'm still choosing you. And like at that moment, she was like, I'm going to only choose you right now. Right, exactly. And I think mm-hmm. that that, and, and, and the way that she described it was like it made her relationship with him so much stronger because mm-hmm. it gave her the space to make that choice versus her feeling pressured when they first started to say, I know that you've been this way for a long time, but I need you to be like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, which, I, which I thought was really beautiful. And that's one thing too. I think there's a lot of misconception because I do think ethical non-monogamy is such a nuanced relationship type. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about mm-hmm. it being selfish or it being immature or all of these yeah. things. And I, I find that there's so much selfishness and immaturity in monogamous relationships. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. interesting that people automatically think because you want to explore other personality types or people or souls whatever you believe in or even if it's just sexual that you're automatically not fit or there's something wrong with you um and there's 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 you know what I mean like there's there's like a negative thing about it a hundred percent um so the first post I made like resource whatever you want to call it was about toxic monogamy and I was just pointing out those things where like monogamy is very selfish like it's totally normal in so many monogamous relationships to be like, I don't want you to have male friends or like female friends if they're like heterosexual. And that has never been the case for me as someone who dates both men and women, but that's totally normal. And I think that's horrible. Um, And it's possession is very normalized. Um, But when you date openly, yes, in perspective, you can be, selfish but I think you can only be selfish to a level that other people will put up with yeah um because it you you can't be selfish in ENM you're openly in order to get something you are giving right um like I'm dividing my time with somebody like if I wanted to be monogamous I could get every day of this one person's life Right. right I don't I personally don't want that. And like, so yeah, in theory, I am dividing my time, but I'm also getting all of this wealth of opportunity. And I don't want to say non-monogamous relationships are more valuable, but I think 
you just come at it with a higher level of emotional intelligence because if you don't know how to communicate, if you don't know how to deal with conflict in a healthy way, one, most of the community is going to be like, not for me. And then two, you're just going to not work out with anyone. And you're either going to think it's your fault or, or rather either you're going to know it's your fault or you're just going to think everybody else is the problem. <laughs> right. Well, I think that that's, and it goes back to what you said. It's like, those are possession is such a big thing in in monogamous relationships, it's like we've been taught that we have to constantly be on the lookout mm-hmm. for our partner, um, you know, who's going to be, um, who's going to be, who's going to cheat on us or whatever. We have to always be on our guard that they're going mm-hmm. to hurt us or, or start, you know, falling for somebody else versus I feel like in an ethical non-monogamous relationship, it's like you've already given each other the space to explore other people that, mm-hmm that that's selfish like you said that selfishness it's almost impossible to have because you've already accepted that you love this person so unselfishly that all of those all of those um issues kind of go out the window i suppose totally i think um one of the key points of enm is autonomy um and if you don't have autonomy that usually ends up where people want to control each other or like be so deeply involved in each other's lives that no, it's not fathomable for them to have these types of relationships. But for me, I've noticed definitely in successful open relationships, two people have completely separate lives, but their relationship comes together. Right. Versus that pressure, I think, in, in some relationships where it's like, oh, I haven't seen them in three days. There's something mm-hmm. I have to force myself to be with them, uh, you know, this, this certain amount of time because society has told me that this is the amount of time we should be spending together. It's like these all, a lot of rules. Yeah, I mean, so um, I've written on it. Um, I'm working on a piece right now for Greatest about the relationship escalator that kind of dictates what relationships should look like, like. It's got to be, okay, you start dating and then you decide to be sexually and romantically exclusive and then you put a title on it and then you move in together and you get married and you share bank accounts and you have kids and you die. (laughs) And that's the only thing that can happen. But for so many people, that's not obtainable. Like for me, I'm solo polyamorous. My partner, he's married. I could never marry him. Um, And like that's fine with me, but people are going to be, people look at me and they're like, well, you're, that's going to bother you at some point. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't believe in the, um, I don't really believe in marriage anymore as a concept. I believe in like life partnership just because having the state involved in like such a personal relationship is kind of unsettling to me. But, um, Yeah. But like also combining finances is really big for some people. And it's how like a lot of people get into abusive situations. Um, Disabled folks cannot like they don't have marriage equality. People who are disabled um, often they can't have more than two thousand dollars in their bank account. I I had no idea about that. Yeah. In order to um, qualify for benefits, certain folks can only have up to $2,000 in their bank account. If you have more than that, your benefits, your nurses, gone. Wow. And then getting married affects that a lot. So a lot of the times people will just live together because they can't get married. Right. Um, so yes, marriage equality is not a thing. <laughs> um, 
So it's just all these little things that um, contribute to like the way we're supposed to act in society, which I think boils down to, you know, feminist concepts like women should be a certain way and men should be a certain way. And we're learning that's not the case. It's not what makes everyone happy. Right, exactly. And I think too, people, uh, marriage is just another, another one of those pressures that we're talking about, right? It's another Mm -hmm. one of those where it feels like a relationship could be incredible, you know, monogamous or not. And, but the second you, you're, you hit a certain age and you hit a certain mark in the relationship, you start getting all this pressure from outside sources about engagement and marriage and kids, like you said, and it's like a relationship that would have thrived is now hit with all these pressures. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a reason why end after you know three four years when you're in your late 20s because you hit this pressure point of people asking well when are you going to get married well you know when is this going to happen are you guys going to have kids are you thinking about it are you talking about it and it's it just it, it can in some ways I think ruin relationships versus like my sister is a good example I, I reference her a lot because she is uh 39 her boyfriend is also 39 mm-hmm. they've been together since they were 16 and they're not married and they have mm-hmm. a kid and they've been together longer than pretty much anybody I know that age. And <laughs> they, you know, it works perfectly for them. And when anybody asks, she always just says, why? Like, we're, we're doing so well. Like, I don't know a lot of people mm-hmm. my age who've been with their partner since they were 16 who are co-parenting together, who are making it work as well as we are. So, like, why, why change things just because somebody once somewhere years ago said that this is what you should do? A hundred percent. I actually, I have that same example in my own family where my aunt and uncle have been together since they were 16 and they didn't get married until my cousin was 16. Wow. (laughs) They were like, yeah, they were like, it just doesn't make sense for us. Um, And I think they did it at the end because they just felt like it. But also I think people have, even if you dial it back, people have so much pressure to move in if a relationship is serious, you know? Um, And living together is such a big change that if you don't understand your partner, you can destroy your life for a few years. You might have to break a lease. You might have to like some sort of financial downturn because you tied up um, your finances in a lease with somebody and it didn't work out. So I think like you said, it's like they weren't even moving in because they felt that it was the time they did it because Mm -hmm. they had been together two years and everybody started asking when they were going to move in (laughs) yeah because they're like oh your relationship has to go somewhere and no it doesn't (laughs) relationships can just exist (laughs) I love that they don't and also relationships sometimes they dial back which I think is important like not every relationship you know some people get married have kids they get divorced but they're still friends and they're still taking care of the kids together and then you bring a new person in and they're like, how are you still friends with your ex-husband or wife? And it's fine. Like if it works for them, what's the issue, you know? Exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there's just like a ton of judgment about it. And that's another kind of segue into a question I wanted to ask, which is why do you think ethical non-monogamy and polyamory, just, why do you think it makes people so uncomfortable? Ethical non-monogamy, seeing it and seeing other people practice, it forces people to really confront the things that make them so uncomfortable. Um, They say, wait, I don't have to do these things, but they're probably trapped in a mindset or they're told that they have to. We're told that jealousy is legitimate when it turns into possession or like jealousy is a sign of love. 
So it's like, oh, well, this, this person's mine. Like you're, you're letting people do these things. Well, your relationship must not be serious. Like they can't fathom it because it's threatening their way of life. Um, I've had this conversation with my partner a lot because on like the male side, he gets, um, he can't really speak openly about it because he's, people are thinking he's bragging. Cause like at one point he had two girlfriends and he's married to like this beautiful woman. And <laughs> he was like, well, you know, I can't talk to my like monogamous friends about my life because they'll just be like, Oh, you got it, bro. But on the other side, like, so he was actually in one of the CBS, um, CBS did a documentary um, on polyamorous people and him okay. and his, yeah, him and his wife were in it. And in the comments, people were like, oh, yeah, that guy's a simp. Like, um, he's just dying inside because someone's railing his wife. And I'm like, honey, he is happy for her. <laughs> right, exactly. And this is the thing, like, how much insecurity do you have in your own life that mm-hmm. there, you can't even fathom the idea that someone can be happy for their partner to be meeting other people and having new mm-hmm. experiences? And you have to kind of, like, project your own insecurities onto that relationship. I think that's really what it is. People are insecure and we're taught that these insecurities are valid. So um, insecurity often is outrage. You know, it's uh, such a, I don't want to say disgusting, but it's such a disturbing emotion that like you have to react to it. And some people withdraw and other people like um, externalize. So I think when people are criticizing it, they're externalizing it a lot. And then on the other hand, there are people who, really do strongly believe in the sanctity of marriage or like, you know, they have strict religious ideals. And I get that more like being upset about it because at least like you have some basis, right. but pe- people in regular monogamous relationships, I'm like, why do you care what I'm doing? Like, I don't want your man, your woman. Like I'm not, we're not doing any of this near you. But I think also other people think if it's near them, maybe their partner will get ideas. Um, that makes a lot of sense because that's one thing mm-hmm. I was going to say too. It kind of reminds me of like back in the day when like homophobia was so much more rampant and people, you know, guys would be like, oh, like I don't want to be friends with a gay guy because what if he falls in love with me? And then like it's kind of become this mm-hmm. joke. Where it's like who do you think you are that like yeah. every person who's attracted to men is going to like, who are you where everybody's just going to drop what they're doing and be in love <laughs> with you? And that reminds me a lot of what you just said. It's like, who are you to think that just because like I am open with my boyfriend that I immediately like want to have sex with you? Like, who are you? Yeah. Like I'm not going to steal, like I said, I'm not going to steal your man, your woman. Like for someone who is not monogamous, like I, it doesn't mean I'm fucking the entire world. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's an aspiration, but that's like a personal choice. Um <laughs> But I feel like that's a big misconception too with polyamory is that everybody who's practicing it is having sex with a new person every weekend. No, it's not at all. It's like you're just open to other possibilities and you're not kind of constrained to this, this societal, you know, idea of what a relationship is. It's like people assume that it means like you're selfish or that, you know, you're like just over overtly horny and there's like no way that one person could possibly satisfy you Mm -hmm. yeah and I just think it's about allowing growth in relationships it'll allowing relationships to change and like not restraining somebody else to just you because if somebody wants to just be with me that's their choice and if I want to just be with one person that's their choice but why 
does my partner have to control my actions with other people if it's not bringing harm to them? Right, exactly. And I also think it says, like, I think, and I said this a, a while ago on a podcast, it feels like, and I don't know if there's enough like research on it, but it feels like there is the possibility for longevity more in in polyamorous relationships because I feel like I see or I hear about so many monogamous relationships where they've been together for a really long time, like 10, 20, even 30 years. And, you know, like you said, people change in relationships and, and things go missing and, and people kind of like, you know, have to adapt and, and you have this one partner and you have to adapt to the fact that they're, they're a human being, so they're going to change. And I think a lot of times because people change relationships end when if they were more open to the idea of ethical non-monogamy or polyamory it could be this thing where they're like maybe i just need to go explore and see what else is out there or find myself through relationships with other people and then that person can still be involved in your life or maybe they can you know realize that they still want to be monogamous with that person and it's like if people were just more open to to the nuance of relationships and, and letting, letting this idea go that it has to be one way and that you have to just be focused on each other for the rest of your life. I feel like it could add years and years to a relationship. I think so too. Um, like in my current partnership, I literally cannot see a way that we could break up unless it was an external force because our, we wouldn't break up. Our relationship would just change. Like if I decided to move from New York to the West Coast right now, we would just have a different relationship. Right. Um, and like, you know, honestly, like, you know, the longer relationship goes, the less sex you tend to have. Um, and that is true. And it, you can still like get that need out with other people because novelty is exciting right. and still love someone. I just think it's very easy to love more than one person and I think it also takes a lot of stress off of a single relationship that someone has to be everything for you right well that that that's that's an interesting point too because it's like you can be with someone and you can love them and they can be amazing and you can have things in common and 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 things you don't have in common that you love about them but I think it's a little bit kind of ridiculous to think that you're going to meet one person and they're going to be every single thing you'll ever need for the rest of your life mm-hmm. versus having, you know, a, a three, four partners or even just one other partner and being like, well, this person gives me A, B, and C. And when I need D, E, and F, I have this other person. And you're able to kind of have all of your needs fulfilled and be at, you know, peak happiness because you have all these other people in your life versus just putting the burden on one person to be every single thing that you'll ever need. Totally. And I also think um, E&M lets you value your platonic relationships more as well. Um, what gave me a lot of perspective before I moved to New York, I was living with my very best friend and she is someone I literally consider a life partner. Like we, we tried to hook up once, it didn't work out. Um, we never, we were never interested again, but she was, she like was and is still like my heart and soul. Like that person is never leaving my life. Right. So let us acknowledge the importance of these relationships. Like I consider my best friend a partner. We don't have sex. We don't kiss. We're not romantic, but our relationship is still very intimate. And especially for people who are asexual, um, it helps 
validate those feelings where they might just have romantic feelings or they might be aromantic or yeah, aromantic or asexual where like you, it just allows you to create the life that you need for yourself. Like I have taken to calling it like different relationship styles because there's so much under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. So you pursue the relationship that works for you and um, say like, for me, I don't really have a close connection with my family. And through EM, I create my family and my extended network, which is also like a very queer thing, found family. You right. yes. you create like your happiness in all of these resources. And it's because everyone loves each other, even if you're not all dating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there's this there's this non-selfishness about it. It's just mm-hmm. like this is what we have and this is great and you have this with somebody else. And and like you said, everybody's kind of able to really build this foundation for true happiness versus forcing yourself to have half happiness because you've been taught that that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I also do want to emphasize that like monogamy is a valid choice. I just, I think it shouldn't be the only choice because there are so many other orientations you can put on your relationship. Some people just need to have threesomes and swing. Like they just need to get those sexual urges out with other people. Because other people need more relationships. And I think that's fine. Um, But I think if we really like took all of this pressure out of like, this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is how you're supposed to pursue your relationships. You know, everyone, we we grow up in the U.S. being told, okay, you're going to go to school. Um, you're probably going to have like a little dumb relationship in high school. You're going to yeah. go to college because you have to, or else you're going to be poor forever. Um, yeah. And then like, you're going to get married. Like that's what we're told we have to do. But a lot of people don't need to go to college, but they do because they're told and they waste a lot of money. And a lot of people get married because they're told that's what they're supposed to do. And they waste a lot of money and trauma, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing we, we, we touched, you touched on it a little bit, but I really would love to just dive into how, in your opinion, do you handle jealousy for somebody who's new to an ethical non-monogamous relationship? Because I feel like jealousy is so ingrained in us. Like mm-hmm. we talked about this a little, but like, I think especially women are taught to have this possessive jealousy about us. And like you said, you know, have being uncomfortable with your, if you're in a hetero relationship, your male partner having girlfriends can make you really jealous or, you know, the idea of them masturbating to somebody else that's not mm-hmm. you watching porn. Like there's so much je- learned jealousy. And h- how do you kind of deal with that hurdle when you are new to a polyamorous relationship? Well, for one, I like to, you have to break jealousy down for, um, I think that's the most important thing. Um, is it something your partner is doing or is it something you're feeling within yourself? You know, is your, is your relationship not secure or are you not secure? So when you figure it out from there, you understand, um, how to proceed. If your partner is actively making you insecure, you need to talk to them about that. But if it's a deeply ingrained problem you have within yourself, that's something you need to work on because it usually means that you feel bad about yourself about something and you are projecting those insecurities, or at least in my experience, that is. I know for other people, jealousy manifests in this is unfair or you're taking something that is mine, but you have to release 
that possession. Um, but I think most of the time jealousy is deep rooted insecurity that needs to be handled. I, I completely agree with that. And I think that kind of leads me to another point, which um, my, we talked about a little bit on the previous episode with my friend where she explained to me, which I had never heard before, compersion. Mm-hmm. And I was so enamored by this because I had never heard of the term, but I think compersion, <laughs> at least from the way that I understood it, is almost like the opposite of possessiveness and jealousy. Like if you had to pick an actual complete opposite feeling in a relationship um, to that, it would be that. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but she said that it is like the feeling of happiness when your partner is happy with someone else or finds happiness or joy in an, in an experience with someone else. Yeah. It's just like you can choose to, I mean, feelings are in a choice, but if you want to take the relationship aspect out of it, if your friend is going out of country, they're going on this amazing trip, you can choose to envy them or you can choose to be happy about it and be like, wow, this is amazing. Um, And I think that's what compersion is for me. um, I experience it when my like partner and his wife are doing really well or they're being cute. Um, she, she takes like pictures of us together and she's a photographer. So we have these beautiful couples photos, like where we look like a target ad. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, yeah, uh, just things like that. And I don't know, I think, I think it's so important to care about the members of your little, what we call like a polycule. Yeah. Um, if you care about the wellness of your partner, you should care about the wellness of their partner. And I think, especially when you create relationships with your partner's partners, you, you start to love them and you care about how they feel too. And I think that's where that can come from. But also I'm happy if my partner is happy. Like um, when my partners have had issues in their relationships, I'm like, tell me, I, I know how to be objective. Like I can, I'm not going to be like break up with them for my sake. I'm going to be right. like break up with them if they're being bad to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's interesting the way that you framed it with outside of a relationship. It's like with friends, right? If my friend has another friend that she really, really loves and is close to, it's like, I want that relationship to thrive because it makes mm-hmm. my best friend happy. And if they're fighting, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you should just not be their friend anymore because I know that long-term that's going to make them more unhappy. And so it's like, if you're able to kind of look at it that way in a way where it's like, there's no possessiveness about it, mm-hmm. it's like, why wouldn't you want whatever makes your partner happy to work for them? And why wouldn't you want to, and, and like you even said, even maybe in some ways be a part of that happiness, like forming a, a relationship with those other people. and and. I think that that can even make you a better partner. If you're like, oh, this person is amazing because of this. This is what they're getting out of that. This is what I bring to the table. It's like this Mm -hmm. sharing circle sort of. Totally. Like um, people always ask me like, oh, how do I not be jealous? And I'm like, meet your metamore, which is like the name for your partner's partner. Meet them. Like you don't have to be best friends, but usually in my experience, when I've met metamores, if I've had anxiety about it, I'm like, Oh, I get why my person likes you. And like, this makes sense. Absolutely. Even in in, uh, monogamous relationships, I found that meeting a partner's ex or Mm -hmm. I'm still friends with an ex, meeting their new partner 
takes off this pressure immediately. Cause like you see them good together or you see what they were, you see what they had and you're like, Oh, that made so much sense. This yeah. makes so much sense for them in that moment or in this moment. And, and I'm, you know, happy to experience that or I'm happy they're experiencing this now. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I think it's just relationships are more permanent if you allow them to be, I, I think the one shortcoming of monogamy when you choose it is that you get to do one thing at a time so you are building a life with just one person and if that fails then it feels like or the relationship ends I don't want to say the relationship fails it feels like you kind of wasted time sometimes yeah um especially if you move to do something with them or like you start all over whereas if I broke up with my partner today I'd be in the same place right. I mean, I'd, be, I'd be very sad but <laughs> I would be where I am but that's also me coming from a solo polyamorous um, point whereas a lot of most people are in primary partnerships yeah absolutely so how important are you know boundaries I suppose and rules in in ENM relationships I would say everyone's different but I think boundaries are really important, especially in the beginning. So okay. you can navigate your own comfort. Uh, I hesitate to say rules. I'd rather say agreements because rules kind of dictate behavior, whereas boundaries are more so, um, if you do this, I will do this. Right. Um, so like my, hmm, let me think. One of my boundaries was, please don't tell me um, unsolicited sexual details of you and your other partners because okay. it makes me feel bad. Right. Um, or like it just made me feel squicky. Um, right. That was a way of me just taking that negative feeling out. So if my partner violated that boundary, like I would get upset and we'd have a conversation about it. And, you know, sometimes it just happens by accident. Um, but then there are the more serious boundaries or I would say agreements where you both agree to act a certain way. So like, Let's talk about sexual health. If you agree to fluid bond with someone and not use condoms, that also implies that you're agreeing to not have unprotected sex with other people unless you right. speak about it, you know, because that is putting your partner at risk. Like, it's very difficult to cheat on me at this point, but that is a way I could be cheated on. Um, right, because you've set that boundary. Yeah, and we both agreed to that. Like, I'm not telling him you can't have unprotected sex with other people, but I am saying you can't have protected sex, unprotected sex with other people and then have unprotected sex with me. Um, because that is violating my safety. Um, and then, you know, there are certain things people agree to for comfort. Like I don't want to stay over. Oh, sorry. We don't share our personal bed with other people. Say a couple live together. Yeah. Or they don't do overnights. Those are all to create comfort and like mitigate insecurity or just to keep people safe. Um, I think it's, there's a danger in rules because you are determining how other people should act. Like many relationships have veto power in primary relationships where um, a primary partner can say, no, I don't want you to date them and like end the relationship there. So I've actually kind of experienced it in some of a way. And I can tell you, it sucks when yeah. a relationship is ended for you and you don't have the um, choice in it. 
you don't have a say, nothing. I, I was right. getting a couple once and they realized they just weren't, um, they weren't ready and they needed more time. So like that relationship just got like pulled under from me. And it really hurt because I was like, well, we all have these feelings for each other, but I, I had no say in this. No one talked to me about it. Yeah. And that feels more frustrating too, because I'm sure in some ways it did feel, um, I suppose, equal. And then in other ways, it was like you said, there was this veto power, power, which at any, with at any point, one person's feelings could change and it could really affect your life without you ever having an essay in that. Exactly. If we have maybe come together and all had a conversation about it, I think that's different, but it's being told your relationship is over. (laughs) Is like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I'll go. Feeling, right? Monogamous or not, that's a, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's like, um, let's say you're dating someone and their parents have to approve of you. <laughs> and their parents don't. And that person is like, oh, well, now we have to end our relationship because my parents don't like you. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's almost worse than if their feelings changed because mm-hmm. it feels like this thing that you, there was no way for you to control and that it's being taken away um, even though the, the love is still there or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, so the last thing I kind of wanted to ask before we, um, before we wrap up is just um, – so out of curiosity, you said you're, you're in, and I, we've already talked about this, but you're in an ENM relationship now. Is do you feel like it's easier as a bisexual woman to be in an ENM relationship? I think it's more beneficial for me for sure, okay. because I will always want to date women and I will always want to date men. And I will always want to date anyone that falls outside of that. For me, yeah. I, I just don't care what your genitals are. Like, are you nice? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there is a benefit to that. And I, I am someone who enjoys group sex. Um, so that is also another benefit. Um, but for, say, heterosexual men, it can be a little more difficult because um, unless you're distinctively attractive, um, <laughs> I think you're going to have a bit of a harder time just because of numbers. Um my partner, I would say he does pretty well, but, you know, he's a good-looking guy. Right. <laughs> that <laughs> definitely helps. That definitely helps. But um, I don't think there's any particular benefit. The only thing um, is there is a lot of fetishizing of bisexual women for couples, or rather with couples. Oh, who... interesting. So you're kind of brought in as almost like um, an experiment versus feeling like an equal part of just like a, a moment of pleasure. Well, I can even go back to um, my situation, the um, the couple I'd been dating. I was the first person they were with um, okay. in a sort of in a full like polyamorous way, I guess we yeah. can say. And um, I was the first girl she slept with af- like alone. And after things broke off, she did say, you know, like, I really enjoyed my experience with you. And I was like, I am not an experience. (laughs) I was like, I am a human being. We had a relationship. It wasn't super long, but like we had a relationship. Um, So please don't like boil me down to that. And she like backpedaled when I kind of like pointed that out. But um, when you're uh, single in a relationship with a couple, there is always a power dynamic present um, because of the situation. You're just two against one. 
Right. Absolutely. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with feeling a little bit like less, I guess, in control of, mm-hmm. of emotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. We're already at 45 minutes, which mm-hmm. I didn't expect to hit that. I looked up and I was like, oh, it's been, it's been 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me. This was super enlightening. And I really mm-hmm. hope that for, for, for other people, they're kind of able to maybe who have wanted to try it, step out of their comfort zone and realize that it's maybe not as, as scary or as taboo as people think it is. No, absolutely not. I think it's hard. It's hard to deconstruct a relationship, but I think there's a lot of reward in doing that work. And, um, on my Instagram, I do provide resources, but I also know other polyamorous people in the space. Like I'd shout out Michelle, her handle is polyamorous while Asian. She talks about polyamory from a, um, Asian and solo polyamorous bisexual perspective. Um, she's on the West Coast and she has like that kind of background as well. And right. her resources are very enlightening. Um, my, I wouldn't call her a poly resource, but like my friend Gab Alexa, she's polyamorous and she definitely represents that like femme for femme yes. um, identity that can be hard to find sometimes in these circles. And um, I'm trying to think of who else I would suggest. Um, oh, Shrimp Teeth is a really good resource. Shrimp Teeth does peer support and Michelle does as well if for people interested in ethical non-monogamy. Okay. And I think I'm going to begin doing it. I just want to experiment with like the technology aspect of it because right. <laughs> I think it's really helpful for people to be able to just ask questions, um, especially when they don't have E&M community around them. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I'll make sure that all those profiles mm-hmm. are in the description below for anybody who's interested in getting some more information and having these educational sources. But thank you again so much for being on. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Yeah, of course. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Was That Good For You? If you did, please leave it a good rating. Write me a few words. It really helps me out. Listen to a couple more episodes if you haven't before. And I'll talk to you guys later.